Some of you who've been a part of Brookside for a few years might remember me saying that the eighth chapter of Romans is my favorite chapter in the Bible. And after, after the last several weeks in this fourth chapter of John's Gospel, I think I've, I think I've found my second favorite chapter. As I've read this and studied it, I've, I've, I'm really, I'm, I'm blown away by what God taught me through this amazing conversation Jesus had with this woman from Samaria. Honestly, I wish I knew her name. And she's one of the people I want to have a conversation with when I, when I get to heaven. And I don't know about you, but I've got my list. It's quite a long list, actually. And uh, so it's going to take me a while to work through it. But she's, right now, she's uh, definitely included. It was an incredible conversation she had with Jesus. One of the best conversations that I've been privileged to hear. And uh, we've seen the, the reason for this in the first two sermons that I've given from this chapter. Uh, I, I don't do this often, but if you were gone on June 9 or June 23rd, I, I want to encourage you to listen to the, the sermons that I preached those two Sundays. Uh, and and I, I've thought a lot about this. I, I would say that over the sermons that I've done in the last 12 or more months, I would put these three sermons, the one included today, in, in the top 10, and, and really maybe even, even the top five. I almost sent you out an email about that this week because it really, these really have impacted me. And by the way, by the way, last uh, Sunday, I told you the story about the necklace. I found out after going out of first service that m there were a number of you who thought it was a true story all the way through. And I heard that some of you were debating on, well, certainly they're going to sell the necklace now. And, and somebody actually wondered, I wonder if Steve's going to retire uh, with the hundreds of thousands of dollars that... I got to tell you, and I really made it clear second service, it was all true when we were about the part being at the farm, but once we got to the necklace, that was all made up, everybody, just, just, so, you, just so you know that. All right. So it's the third reason that I'm rating this conversation so high that we come to today, and it's this. It's for us to do what Jesus said is more satisfying for him, gives him more joy than anything else he does. In this passage, he, calls, he called it harvesting. Another word for this, and one that we're much more familiar with, is the word evangelizing, which is telling others the good news of, of God's grace through Jesus Christ with a hope and the prayer that they'll believe that he's God's son and they'll trust in him as their savior. So just remember this as we go through this harvesting that Jesus used in this passage is equivalent to evangelizing. They're, they're one and the same. And so when I use the word harvesting, think of the word evangelizing. Now, it's possible for you to hear me say this word evangelizing and it immediately raises a red flag in your mind. You have this, perhaps, this picture of some guy on television with his hair slicked back, and he's shouting, and he's asking for money. 
And if you, if you did a word association, you'd think of words like hypocrisy or judgmental or self-promoting. Or it's possible that you've had a very negative experience of someone trying to evangelize you. You, you felt targeted. You felt manipulated. You felt like they were talking down to you. You, you, you felt like you were somebody's project that they could, they could check off you. You didn't feel respected. You felt used. And so the idea of Christians evangelizing disturbs you. you. You don't like anyone trying to get another person to leave their own religion or abandon their own personal belief system and convert to Christianity. So right, right now it's possible you might be saying to yourself, listen, Steve, Christianity is fine. I don't agree with it all, but it's fine, except for this one thing that I object to. It's, it's trying to convert people to your religion. That's, in my opinion, it's narrow-minded, it's bigoted, and it's unfair. So I don't mind Christianity. It's just that one thing that really bugs me. I, I, and, I, and, and I'll be honest with you here this morning. One of my pet peeves in this whole thing is what some churches put out on their marquees, all right? Which, so I'm, I'm driving on my way here this morning. I kid you not, I, I saw this on a marquee of a church, and I thought, boy, that just makes me want to go inside. It said, it, it said, without the bread of life, you're toast, you know? I mean, that just warms my heart, you know? I, uh, you know, that's wrong, okay? So I understand if you're sitting out here today and you go, man, I have not had a good experience you're not a believer yet. You're not a follower of Christ. You're still on that journey asking the questions. I want to tell you, I understand your struggle with that. Or it might be that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're convinced he's the son of God. You're convinced that he came to this earth to die for our sin. You believe in his resurrection. Have someone ask you if you're a Christian, and, and you'd say, absolutely, but as far as telling others what you believe, it unnerves you to even think about it. You tried once, you got shot down big time. It might be that you're even thinking that you do not have a right to try to convince another person to believe what you believe. Wherever you're at with this thing, evangelizing, what Jesus called harvesting in this passage, I'd like to talk it through with you, and I'd like you to see what Jesus himself did and what he said about it. And then when I'm all done, you can decide whether or not there's good reason for it. Now, one of the things that's very clear in these verses that Jeff read a few minutes ago is that Jesus does it himself and he demands us to do this, this thing he calls harvesting. It's very clear that the whole purpose of this passage is all about this. Jesus brought this woman to faith in himself, and she's bringing others to faith in Jesus Christ. And he actually, I don't know if you notice this, but he actually gets on his disciples for not having the same heart for harvesting that he does. And it, 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 
remember this, they, they come back from Sychar with the food that they went in to get. They try to get Jesus to eat that food. And he makes this statement in verse 32. He said, I have food to eat you know nothing about. Now, you read that and you realize in their response to this, the disciples don't have a clue what he's talking about. And they wonder out loud if somebody brought him food. And Jesus said, hearing them talk about this, he, he added to what he already said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What he's talking about is harvesting, or as we say it today, evangelizing. It's helping others see their sinfulness before a holy God and their need of God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. This, Jesus said to his disciples, is my food that I eat that you know nothing about. He's saying, not only have you never done it, you haven't even thought about doing it, and because of this, you're missing more joy than you can imagine. There's several places in the Bible, and this is one of them, where the joy of Christianity is intrinsically linked to mission, to harvesting, to evangelizing. Get on mission, Jesus is saying, and you're going to have incredible joy. He's saying there is absolutely nothing better than seeing somebody come to faith in me, faith in Jesus Christ. So this is what we're going to look at today, this whole thing of harvesting or evangelizing. And, and so I just want to recognize right up front for all of us here today, evangelism is a sticky issue for some people observing Christianity, people who do not yet have a faith in Christ, and that might be you today. And it's a sticky issue for some people who are believers, who are participating in Christianity. And what I'd like us all to see is that Christianity that doesn't have evangelism and conversion is something, but it's not Christianity. To change that one thing is to change everything. It's, it's like saying, I like everything about ice cream except for the fact it's frozen. If you say, if you take away the frozenness, you've got something, but it's not ice cream anymore, right? Ice cream without freezing is something, but it's not ice cream. And in the same way, Christianity without evangelism and conversion is something, but it's not Christianity. All right, harvesting, evangelizing. I like to point out three things from these verses, and it was so much fun for me to discover this. First of all, harvesting happens because of truth. Second, it happens because of love. And third, it happens because of friendship. In fact, I'd say it's essentially friendship. So we'll look at these three things, and, and then we'll know something about this food that Jesus talks about. So first of all, harvesting happens because of truth. And you want to write that down. If you're going to you're writing things down this morning, harvesting happens because of truth. And what we're actually talking about here 
is the mandate for evangelizing. So you might write that word down. You might write truth. Truth is the mandate. It's the mandate. It's the reason we evangelize. Jesus shows us this in two ways through his conversation with this woman. I just found this fascinating, all right, right here in the text. First of all, he spoke truth into her own life, right? He spoke truth into her life. He talked to her about her sin, her spiritual need. He talked to her about her multiple marriages and that right now she's living with a man in a sexually immoral relationship. So he spoke truth into her life. And second, he told her the truth about himself. He said, I'm the Christ. I'm the Son of God. I'm the one who can meet your spiritual need. And instead of being defensive and pushing back, she accepted what he said. We, we know this because she goes back to her hometown and she says to everybody, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? You know what she's saying? She's saying, I see my need, and I believe I've met the person who can meet it. So, what's harvesting? What's evangelizing? First of all, it's speaking truth. It's speaking truth. It's, this is what we're doing. You're, you're, you're helping another person understand their spiritual need, their need for Christ, and then you're showing them what Christ did for them on the cross, all in order to bring them into a relationship with God and into eternal life. Now, here's the deal, everybody. Christianity has always been, and it has to be, evangelistic. In fact, the word from which it comes, the word evangel, means gospel, and that word literally means good news. And there's no better good news that any person could hear than the truth that God is holy, and God is just, and God is loving. I, I mean, imagine what this world would be like if God if that wasn't true of God. Imagine what it would be like if God was evil. Imagine what this world would be like if God was unjust. Imagine what this world would be like if God was filled with hate. And then add to this the truth that because God is holy and just and loving, God sent his son to this earth to be our savior and when we trust in him, the most amazing thing happens. God himself, the spirit of God, comes to live within us. And we're given a quality of life that brings total and lasting satisfaction, which begins now and continues into eternity. You do not find better good news than that. It's what Jesus said to this woman. And it was in the sermon I did on June 9th. He said, whoever drinks the water, I give him will never thirst Indeed, the water I give will become in him or in her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What I would like us all to see today is that good news is always meant to be shared. Okay? For example, let's say you have a group of medical scientists, doctors, who've done extensive research on a cure for cancer. They've been working on it for years. 
and they've had a phenomenal breakthrough. They've, they, di they discovered a drug that guarantees a complete cure from cancer. What would you expect them to do with that good news? Huh? Tell everybody, right? You, you go, I mean, if they kept this to themselves, I mean, wouldn't that be irritating? Uh, more than irritating, all right? So let me ask you this. Bring it home a little bit more. Would it be wrong for them, and I'm going to use the words, okay, to evangelize and convert people to this new medicine that's guaranteed to cure a person from cancer? Would it be narrow-minded for them to say, stop taking the medicine you're taking and begin taking this medicine? I don't think so. Let's take it one step further. Let's say you were diagnosed with cancer. You took the medicine these doctors prescribed, and you were completely 100% cured of cancer. Would it be wrong for you to tell everybody you knew about that medicine? More to the point. Would it be wrong for you to do everything you possibly could to convince anyone who had cancer to take that medicine? Very opposite, right? It would be wrong not to. Same is true for the message of the Bible. It gives us God's cure for our spiritual sickness, and, and, and it only makes sense, it's only right for those who believe the Bible, who believe what Jesus said about himself, and who experience this cure in their own lives, to tell others. It's all kinds of ways to think this through. For example, it's a dark night. You're driving down a road that leads to a bridge over a deep ravine. And by some good fortune, you're able to see that the bridge is out, that it's collapsed before you begin driving over it. What would you do? You'd do everything you could, right, to warn everybody coming after you, don't keep driving, the bridge is out. Same is true for Christians. It, it is imperative upon us to warn people of God's judgment of eternity. Or let's say, let's say, you find out that all the car dealerships in, in, in the city of Omaha are giving a free car of your choice to every person who comes into their showroom by the end of this week, starting today at 2 o'clock and ending at midnight on Saturday. And for some reason, they only told you about this, right? You're the only one. And you doubted it. So to convince you that they were for real with this thing, they let you choose your car, they gave you a title to it, and they let you drive home with it. It was yours. What would you do if that happened to you? Huh? Wouldn't you tell everybody? I tell you, I'm convinced you would. You would be good newsing every day, right up to the possible minute you had to make it known to other people. You'd tell everybody, right? The same is true for those who believe Jesus Christ is God's Son, the Savior of the world. It wouldn't make any sense for us not to tell other people of God's free gift of forgiveness 
and God's promise of eternal life. In fact, it would be cruel for us not to tell other people. So here's what I'd like you to consider if uh, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. I'd like you to consider that the real issue isn't whether it's right for a Christian to try to convince you to believe. The real issue is what motivates them to do this and how they try to convince you. And that's what we're going to talk about in a minute. But before we look at this, let me just speak to each one of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. All right? Each one of us who are followers of Christ. Some of you never open your mouth about what you believe. I wish you would. Because I hope you didn't get into Christianity because it's exciting, though it is. And I hope you didn't get into Christianity because it's relevant, though it is. And I hope you didn't get into Christianity because it's dynamic and life-transforming, though it is. I hope you got into Christianity because it's true. And because it's true, then you have to do good newsing. If Jesus Christ is who he said he is, then for you and me to keep our faith private, that's not courteous. It's cruel. The second thing we learn in this passage, and it's really the real issue, is not just that harvesting is necessary because of truth. It's necessary because of love. Harvesting happens because of love. All right? And I, I, I'd say, boy, if you're taking notes, write this down. And here, here's where we get into the real issue of what it is that motivates a person to do this. You know, I think one reason some people get very upset with the idea of evangelism with the idea of converting people, is that they say, you know what, you must feel that you're better than other people to do this, that somehow you're superior to everybody else. You might feel this way. You might have experienced obnoxious and alienating efforts to evangelize you. And if you have, I can understand why you think people who evangelize think they're more, you know, they're better than everybody else. But let me say this. Though it's possible for a person to do this, you know, to do it with this kind of a superior attitude, it's, it's not true that it's always done this way. And it never should be done this way. It's not at all what the Bible says should be the guiding motivation, and it doesn't need to be, and it must not be. So, let me ask you, what do you think motivated Jesus to tell this woman who he was? I definitely think it wasn't any kind of a superior attitude. It, it wasn't to impress her that he's God. I mean, God doesn't have to impress anybody, right? Instead, what motivated him is what motivated him to come to this earth in the first place. It's what motivated his heavenly father to send him. It was love. 
exactly what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verse 16. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It was, it was love. Well, let me ask you this. What motivated this woman to run back to town to tell everybody about Jesus Christ? Do you think it was superiority? Listen, everybody, she was the town's loose woman. Everybody who knew who she was, she did not have a sense of superiority. She probably had the lowest self-image possible. And so I doubt very much that suddenly she felt better than everybody else. I'm convinced that it was experiencing the love of Christ that motivated her, and with this, her love for other people. Listen, everybody, when you feel love to the core of your being, which this woman felt, then you have to be good-newsing. If there's any bit of love of Christ in you, you have to do it. And it's got nothing to do with superiority. It's got everything to do with love. Has anybody ever heard here how the gospel came to Korea before Korea was divided into two nations? Wonderful story. In 1866, there was a ship called the General Sherman that was going to go into Korea, a very dangerous thing to do. Because at that time, Korea was totally close to outsiders. Any, any foreigner who tried to get into Korea was instantly put to death. But there was this group of adventurers who were determined that they were going to do it. And so they were going to travel up a river to one of the major cities in Korea. So you had that, those group of men. But there was one other man who got on that ship. His name was Robert Day Thomas. And he was a Welsh missionary uh, to China. And he had discovered from talking to some Koreans in China that, that the most educated Koreans in, uh, uh, read Chinese very easily. And so he began to develop this passion to bring the gospel into Korea, to bring Bibles there. He desperately wanted to do this, and he prayed about it for years. And then he heard about this ship. And he got on board, and basically what happened was this. They... they they traveled up that river, and just like it always happened before, the Koreans were hostile, and when they got close to the city, the Koreans lined up on both sides of that river, and they began shooting at that ship. And so they couldn't land. But by the time they were going to turn the ship around and leave Korea, the water level had gone down to such an extent that the ship got stuck in the mud. And then the Koreans sent these little boats with fire on them out to that ship, up against that ship, until finally that ship caught fire. And all the men aboard that ship realized, man, the jig was up. They had to somehow get, fight their way out. And so they got their swords and their guns, and they, they got into the water, and they were going to try to fight their way out of that country. But they, all those men ended up getting shot to death. However, th there was one guy who acted very strangely. He didn't have any weapons with him. 
And he didn't come out of that boat shooting. Instead, he came out of it with his, with his arms full of books. And then as he moved in closer to shore, he thrust the books into the hands of the people as they clubbed him and stabbed him until he was dead. That was Robert Thomas, and those were Chinese Bibles. Thirty years later, when the first missionaries came to Korea because it finally opened up, a man named Sam Moffat, a Presbyterian missionary, began to preach the word, the Bible, and one of the first believers, one of the very first men who came to one of his classes for, for new converts, had an old, old Chinese Bible, a Bible that his father had picked up on a very bloody riverbank 30 years before. Now let me ask you, what in the world motivated Robert Thomas to do what he did. Superiority? Thought he was better than everybody else? Listen, you don't love people you feel superior to. You do not die for them. You hate them. So what's going on here? Well, I believe the Apostle Paul gave us the answer. In his letter, second letter to the Corinthians, he said this, Christ's love compels us. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Beautiful thing about this story that right now there's a church that's been built on the very spot that Thomas died called the Thomas Memorial Chapel in honor of one guy who obviously didn't have a sense of superiority, but who loved. The truth is, everybody, and hear me very carefully on this, okay? I mean, hear me very carefully. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got something worth dying for to give others. If Jesus Christ is who he said he is, then for you and me to keep our faith private, it is not courteous. It's absolutely cruel. The last thing, best way for us to share our faith in Jesus Christ, I'm convinced, is through friendship. Harvesting is essentially friendship. Harvesting happens best through friendship, and, and so I, I'd say write that down. One of the reasons I believe a lot of people hate evangelizing is because they've seen it done in alienated, alienating and hostile kind of methods. Methods. It's none of that with Jesus. Very opposite. He became a friend with this woman at the well. The disciples were gone getting food. They come back, and they're very surprised to see Jesus talking with this woman. And the reason they're so amazed that he's doing this is there's three of them. Jewish men are not supposed to talk to women in public. Jews are ne are, uh, were not supposed to speak to or fraternize with Samaritans. 
And she was a notoriously loose woman. In fact, many town, many, many biblical scholars believe that she was the town prostitute. And so for all these reasons, they're wondering why Jesus would do this. And he does it because ultimately the gospel is radical friendship. He gets by the sex bias. He gets by the race bias. He reaches out in friendship to someone whose life is completely wrong. He's genuinely friendly. Listen, everybody. You will be as good at harvesting as you are at friendship. Okay? Can I say that again? You will be as good at, at harvesting as you are at friendship. Remember what, remember what they said about Jesus Christ in, in Luke chapter 15 because he was hanging out with a certain group of people? They called him, remember what they called him? They called him a friend of sinners. And the very religious people were wagging their heads and sticking up their noses because Jesus spent time with sinners. And you've got to be very careful about this. You don't become someone's friend in order to change them. You become somebody's friend to be their friend. And that includes giving them what they need and what everybody needs more than anything else is the truth. The truth about themselves and the truth about God. You see, harvesting ultimately is friendship and real friendship. I mean, real friendship is harvesting. So let me close this way. Jesus said to his disciples, I have food to eat you know nothing about. Powerful, powerful statement. He's saying, this is what I live for. Actually, he's saying, he's even going beyond that. He's saying, this is what I'm going to die for, to see people's lives transformed through the truth of the gospel. He's saying, this is the food that satisfies me to the very core of my being. I dare say that there's more than a few of us in this room who are believers in Jesus who are either famished or undernourished because we're not eating the food that Jesus eats. We're not on mission with him. We're not telling others the truth of the wonderful truth of of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're not harvesting, we're not evangelizing. And I just want to say to you this morning with all the love in my heart, if this is true of you, then the best thing you can do today before you leave this place is admit it to God. Tell God that you haven't been caring for people the way you know you should be caring. Tell God you have not been building friendship with people who do not share your faith in Jesus Christ. And ask Him to work in your heart and ask Him to give you love for people. I'll never forget the summer, and I have told you this before, the summer before my senior year in high school, I knew I had to think, get this whole issue right with God. And I kid you not, I kid you not, 
every evening I got on my knees by my bed before that, that whole summer before I went back to my senior year in high school, and I asked God over and over again to give me love for spiritually lost people. I just begged him to give me that love. And I'm asking you to do the same. I was talking with someone just yesterday uh, about this sermon that I'm going to be doing. And, um, and one of the things that he mentioned back to me is, well, Steve, you know, are you going to say anything to us about what to say? And yes, I am. So on Sunday, July 21, all right, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to talk through with you on what to say in explaining your faith to friends, okay? Because a lot of times I know we're afraid to open our mouth because we don't know what to say, right? Now, just one final thing. If you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're still asking questions and, and you're trying to figure it all out, I, I hope you know I appreciate your struggle with evangelizing. I really do. There have been people who have abused this, who've done it in all the wrong ways and with the wrong attitude and the wrong motivation, and it makes me very sad every time I see that happen. I, I, honestly, when I, drove, when I drove here today, this morning, and I saw that marquee outside that church, that just made me so sad. I wanted to stop and pull it down, but then I'd never get here today probably. You know? But it just bothers me. And I hope you understand from what I've said this morning that Jesus never did it this way. And neither should I, neither should any Christian. And this is why I believe this fourth chapter in, in our Lord's conversation with this woman is so valuable. Jesus shows us how important it is for those of us who are his followers to tell others about him. But he shows us the right way to do it. And so, you see, with all my heart, I believe I've got the best news anybody could possibly hear and it would be so wrong for me not to share it. So I'd also love to have you come back in July 21. And I think you're going to find it helpful for you to, to understand how it's possible for someone to have a relationship with God in the certainty of eternal life. Because you really can. That's what the Bible's all about. Okay? Well, let's stand together for... Um, a closing worship song, and, and I'm just going to lead us in prayer, okay? Father, I, I really am grateful to you for this, you know, that we can look into this conversation that your son had with this woman. I just think it's, it's such a wonderful conversation. It, God, I thank you for your love and making that possible. I thank you for what it meant in her life. And Father, I thank you what's possible for all of us to have those kind of conversations and what it can mean in the lives of people we have those conversations with. Please strengthen us, God. Please motivate us. Please give us the love that we need to do it. 
in Christ's name, amen.